The reading is in Acts chapter 2. Uh, in the Church Bible, it's on page 1093. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came down from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them was filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and uh, converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongue. Amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they've had too much to drink. Thanks, Jesus. Should we pray? Father God, just as we look at your word now for a few minutes, Father, we pray you speak to us, Lord, uh, regardless of, of where we've come from this morning, we pray that just your spirit will speak to each one of us, Lord, even if it's about something completely different uh, to what's said from the front. We pray, Father, for your, your spirit to be in us and upon us and to speak to us and challenge us and grow us. And Lord, we give you this time, we ask for your glory uh, to shine your kingdom to come in each one of our lives, in Jesus' name. Amen. I must apologise to Enid. Um, Acts chapter 2 is the, one of those passages that people don't mind reading the first six verses and then you get to all the, all the uh, various people groups. Um, so apologies there, Enid did very well. Um, it always encourages me because I think it's verse 11. Um, you can put verse 11 back up because I always think it's quite good. Because whenever I get to verse 11 of Acts chapter 2, it always, I'm always quite pleased that cretins um, can become Christians as well. So um, if you're a cretin this morning, there's hope for you yet. Don't panic. God still loves you. And... Uh, or is that something else? No, maybe I've mis, mis, mis said that. Anyway, I can get rid of it now. <laughs> um, I know it's Father's Day, so I apologise that this isn't a Father's Day themed talk. Um, although looking out from the front, um, not everybody in this room is a father, so perhaps it's not really a, too much of an issue. Um, and even if you are, you may not want to be reminded. Maybe you've come to church to get away from that. I don't know. But it's, uh, it, it's, we're just sort of spending two weeks on Pentecost. It was Pentecost last Sunday, and we spoke about those three big prophecies in the Old Testament, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Joel. And, um, and we ended with that challenge at the end of last week. Um, that this week, 
spend time waiting on God, expecting God to move. And I, I wonder if you did it. Um, did, you, did you this week? This is a rhetorical question, by the way. Don't do what I did. When I was in my home church in Chapel Heath, the minister asked a rhetorical question. I put my hand up, and then he felt obliged to, for me to answer it. Then I answered it in front of the whole church, and I got it wrong. Uh, <laughs> so don't do that. But did you? Did you hear those wonderful promises six, seven hundred years before Pentecost where God was going to pour out his spirit. He was going to do a new thing, an amazing thing in the lives of everybody on the planet, all types of people, I should say. And uh, those disciples spent 10 days waiting, expecting God to move. Did you make space this week? Um, Did we make space this week for God to move mightily in our lives? Did we expect God to move? Did we go to work or wherever we go during the week and expect the Holy Spirit to prompt us and use us with power and might. So we thought it'd be really good just to spend a bit of time, a bit longer in this topic of Pentecost because uh, it's far too significant just to do once a year. We said that last week as well. Enid has just read to us Acts chapter 2 and, um, and it's the most wonderful event. Um, if you can try and imagine what's going on there at the temple in Jerusalem, there's about 120 uh, believers there. They're in the upper room, they call it, or a room in the temple, and they're waiting. They're just waiting. Ten days they waited. I can't wait five minutes. Um, but ten days they waited on God. They expected God to pour out his spirit. He made that promise in chapter one. Pentecost uh, was a big Jewish festival. We call it Pentecost, but uh, Pentecost was a big Jewish festival. Uh, one of three big festivals that Jews were required to celebrate in Jerusalem. Hence the, hence the volume of people that are there, hence the different nationalities. They've come from all over the known world. Jews from all parts of the world have come to Jerusalem and they've come to celebrate Pentecost. Pentecost is harvest. And what the Jewish people would do in Jerusalem, um, they would obey the words of Leviticus 23, where they were told to bring the first fruits of the harvest. Harvest would begin and they would bring the first thing they picked and they'd bring it to the temple and they would recognize God's sovereignty. This is just the first of what God's going to give us. There's a bigger harvest coming. And so it's really intriguing, isn't it, that those first 3,000 converts to Christianity should happen at Pentecost. Because they're not it, that's a small number, but they're just a tiny, minutest fraction of the billions that will follow them and find Jesus Christ as their Lord and King and Saviour. That God is going to bring a harvest, not of wheat and barley, but of souls of every tribe and every nation, every tongue across the globe and across history. And you and I, if you believe in Jesus, are a part of that harvest. God has grown you and brought you home. A song mentioned going home. And, uh, and we're a part of God's wonderful harvest. Every town, every nation, every tongue, uh, many people know Jesus across this world. This fledgling religion that started in Jerusalem has now gone out to all four corners of the world. And the first fruits were those 3,000 that believed at Pentecost. God did an amazing work then, and he's been doing an amazing work ever since. Interestingly, uh, Pentecost, just a bit of history, um, Jewish people will say, oops, and the Jewish people will say, um, believe that, that Pentecost was the day that God gave the tablets of stone to Moses, that Pentecost is when God gave the law to, to Moses at the top of Mount Sinai, and Jews believe that Moses went up the mountain and met with God in the most amazing way, and he gave him those two tablets of stone where God wrote with his finger the law of God, and he brought it down uh, to those at the bottom of the mountain. And if we were to just quickly read Exodus Exodus chapter 20, um, verse 18 uh, and 20, it's really interesting the similarity of language from Pentecost and from when they received the law at Mount Sinai. It says, when the people saw the thunder and lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain in smoke, they trembled with fear. They stayed at a distance and said to Moses, speak to us 
Speak to us yourself and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us or we'll die. They were frightened of the loudness of the whole thing. Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. God has come to test you so that the fear of the Lord will keep you from sinning. And, but that moment God gives the law uh, to Moses for God's people to follow and to be like a light to the, all the nations. And the language is very similar to Acts chapter 2. We've got that roaring thunder, we've got that wind that blows and then the tongues of fire. The presence of God descends again at his people, not at Mount Sinai and not with tablets of stone, but God fulfills what they've been waiting for in Jeremiah 31, which we mentioned last week, when that day would come when he would write his law on their hearts. Acts 2 is that moment when God's spirit comes and he begins to write his law on our hearts. You note the similarity of language. And so it is the most amazing moment, Pentecost. It is the most wonderful moment in church history and we should see it as church history. It's our history as Christians and it's the most amazing moment but it presents a problem because a lot of people aren't quite sure what to do with the events of Pentecost because Pentecost, of course, is a unique event. There's only one Pentecost. However, Pentecost is supposed to be the pattern, supposed to be our DNA, our legacy, as we said last week. And Christians tend to fall into two broad camps when it comes to Pentecost and all things related to demonstrations of God's power through the Holy Spirit. And, uh, and I'm being very caricature, I'm caricaturing very badly here, so please forgive me. I know there are more than two camps, but for the purposes of the next 30 seconds, there's two. So people tend to be either really excited by the prospect of God's spirit falling on a group of believers and people speaking in tongues or having a prophetic word or demonstrations of God's power. I'm so excited by it, they're desperate for it. But then you perhaps get a different camp where people say, well, Pentecost was extremely important and awesome and brilliant. But that was then, and not for now. It's very different what we live in now to then. So you've got two, broadly, two camps. And I met both types of Christian just recently, uh, two separate Christian events. The first, um, and this is where the caricature gets taken too far, so I don't mean to offend, but this is the two types of people I met that have taken both those perspectives on the work of the Holy Spirit to, the, to a, 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 perhaps a, the end of the spectrum. The first one was a, a Christian conference I attended. The guy did a talk, and he was very excited and desperate for God's power to be in his life, everything he said and did to be completely full of the Holy Spirit, that he would be a man of power and majesty and might, and he got very excited about it, he spoke very clearly about that, that was clearly his desperation. The thing that frightened me about him wasn't his desire for the Holy Spirit to be upon him and use him mightily, it was that his Bible was far too far away from where he was speaking. There's nothing wrong with being desperate for the Holy Spirit to work mightily and powerfully in your life. But what worried me was the word of God, which is our foundation and our definition, was the other side of the room. (laughs) I really thought Daphne was going to jump up and do it for me, but... And then I met another, the other end of the spectrum. So he was the, the very excited and desperate for the Holy Spirit. Then I met another guy at a different Christian conference, both fairly local. And, uh, and uh, I have a little summary. When I meet people, I give them the, the, the Hanson summary. My name is Gary. I'm from Sawbridgeworth. And they say, where? You know, Sawbridgeworth what? Sawbridgeworth. And then I say, forget it. It's the bit in between Harlow and Bishop Stortford. Um, I give them my little potted history. And, uh, and this guy, bless him, was very nice. But within 12 seconds of talking with him, he told me where he stood on at least six theological issues. He told me his church only had about four people in it, and well, maybe that's what God wants. I thought, does he? 
I don't think so. Um, but we talked about that. He told me that he was a creationist and a cessationist. And, uh, and if you don't know what a creationist is, that's someone who believes that God literally made the world in six days. I believe that um, for the record, and I'm very proud to say it. I believe God is powerful enough to make the world from nothing and to make it in six days, and God is clever enough to do that. And I wholeheartedly believe as the Bible says it. But he's also a cessationist, he told me, and that is someone who believes that up until the formation of the Bible in its current form, God used things like prophetic words and he used his Holy Spirit to communicate with his church. But once the Bible was in its completed form, those days came to an end. And we no longer need those kind of things. And that's for then. And we now have just the preaching of God's word. And that's not wrong in one sense, but it's not correct either, I would say, quite clearly. And so they both were very different to each other. And uh, I wonder which you might find yourself leaning more towards this morning if you're a Christian. As the events of Pentecost, the idea of God's spirit moving powerfully like that or similar to that, does that excite you? Do you think, I want that in my life? Or are you someone that thinks, no, no, that was then, and what we need is more structure and something quite different in the 21st century? Which way do you lean, perhaps, even if I have caricatured them both? But I suggest you need a third way. There should be a third camp. And, uh, and this is not my own thought, this is uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones, I think, said that you need a third way of approaching God. That you can be so full of the word that you dry up. And he said that you can be so full of the spirit that you blow up. That you can be so obsessed with being filled with the spirit that you completely forget everything else and go a bit mad. Or you can be so obsessed with just preaching God's word that you almost forget that God's in the room with you. And you become dry in your Christianity. So he said, too much word, you dry up. Too much spirit, you blow up. Word and spirit together in equal measure, you grow up. And so I think we need to be a church that isn't just chasing the experience of God through the Holy Spirit. Or not just obsessed with only preaching the word on its own. But a church that is both filled with the spirit and faithful to God's word together. But we are a word and spirit church. In the first century, Pentecost presented no problem whatsoever for God's people. As God poured out his spirit on his church, it exploded. It exploded in the way it doesn't seem to have done in quite the same way since, although there are pockets of times of history where God has done amazing things. But we look with envy at Acts chapter 2. We think we wish we were like the book of Acts, don't we? I want to be an Acts chapter 2 and 3 and 4 kind of Christian. But the church exploded. Those believers went out. They left it all behind. They prayed for people and they got better. They gave prophetic words. God has said this, we believe. And they shared those things with each other. They went on mission trips. They left it all behind and went to far-flung countries. Some of them died for their faith. They were put in prison. Paul was on a shipwreck. They were chased by angry mobs in towns. Wouldn't that be fun? <laughs> well, maybe it's just me. It's big talk from the front. I can, I can, I can be like, oh, yeah, sign me up. But it wouldn't be exciting to be that dangerous, that dynamic, that people either really love you or really hate you. But so often we're just kind of, oh, yeah, they're so nice down there. And you think, just a bit, anyway. But they were dynamic. They were dynamic believers who stepped out of their ordinary lives in the power of God. And the important thing is the world felt it. The world felt it. There are two quotes that really hit me um, thinking about them this week. If God took his Holy Spirit out of your church, uh, this is just a generic quote, um, would the church be any different? Then another quote I heard was, if your church was no longer in your town, would they even notice? I think, oh, that really hit it hurts when you hear that. But what about the 21st century? Does Pentecost present us with a problem? 
Well, I want to suggest that there are many churches in Western Europe, particularly in the UK, where a lot of what we do is filtered through the influence and lens of a Victorianism, a Victorian Christianity. Martin Lloyd-Jones spoke very passionately and very clearly about his view on much of Western Christianity, and particularly in the UK, that much of what we do has become ordered, we've become measured, we've become neat Christians and sensible. We have an order of service. Nothing wrong with that. It's good to know when things should be switched on and turned off. But we've become so ordered. What if we're wrong? What if we've become too organized, too sensible, too measured, too neat? What if we've, without realizing it, become institutionalized as Christians, more churchians than Christians? What if we've become a people of common sense rather than a people that commonly sense the power and the leading of God's Holy Spirit? The problem of Pentecost remains in the 21st century. We can't ignore what happens in Acts chapter 2 despite our best attempts, perhaps. Because it's our birthright, it's our legacy, it's our reality, it's our pattern, it's our DNA, and it's our mold that we're supposed to be representing. You see, the God of Acts chapter 2 is the same God that we worship in this building. The God of Acts chapter 2, the church of Acts chapter 2, is the same church. We still belong to it. The mission of Acts chapter 2, to spill out in the power of God and tell people that there is a saviour, that there is hope beyond the grave, is still our mission. But I worry that we've systematized it, that we've organized it. We've become more like a business than a spirit-filled people. It's always a danger. So let me read you some verses from the New Testament that speak of God's spirit and us. And I'll let you uh, just hear them and take them to heart. And then I'm just going to uh, end with a couple of thoughts. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16, 18, and 25. Paul says, I say to you, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. He says, if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Be led by the Spirit. It says in verse 25 of the same chapter, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. We must be a people that keep in step with what God is saying on a daily basis. Chapter 5 of uh, Ephesians, verse 18. Paul writes, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 4, and then verse 7 to 11. Paul again writes, there are many different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. Talking about church and giftings. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. And to another, gifts of healing by one and the same Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, another distinguishing spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And to another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit. And he distributes them to each one just as he determines. Romans 8, verse 11. Paul again says, If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. We get this picture of being filled and covered and led and keeping in step with God's Holy Spirit. And then 1 Thessalonians um, 
Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 5. So we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you, in verse 5, because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and with deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. When they preached the gospel in the first century, it was delivered with passion and poise, but more importantly, in the power of God's Holy Spirit. And then one final one, 1 Corinthians 2, verse 4, almost a very similar verse. Paul says, My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. And so let me just say three things this morning. I know this is not a very Father's Day type message, but um, I'm done now, so uh, it's too late. But three things. Three things to consider when you think of Pentecost and what we've said this morning. Number one is the very nature of God. How wonderful is the God that we worship? How wonderful is God that at Pentecost, he pours God the Spirit out, pours his Spirit out on his people. It tells us something of God's character and God's nature. Those disciples weren't worthy to know God in such a powerful, intimate way. Neither were we. None of us in this room have any worth that God should come close to us. Yeah, it reminds us again, doesn't it, that God is a God who seeks out the lost. He saves the lost. He clothes the lost. He fills us. He gives us a message. And it tells us the message, I should say, that there is so much more to know of him than you currently know. And I want to say this morning, even if what I've said, you're thinking, I don't don't get it, I'm new to all this. But let me tell you, the God that we worship isn't one who sits in heaven uninterested in your life we worship a God who seeks you out wants you to know desperate to know wants you to know him so much that he allowed his son to be nailed to a cross that you only need to ask him into your life and you will be found and saved in a way you cannot even imagine this is the character of God and I want to tell you he desires to be near you this morning he wants to show you the full extent of his love it is Father's Day and I will say this that for some of us in this room Father's Day apart from our own children is a reminder of what we didn't have. And for many people in in this room, that wound is very raw. But there is a Father in heaven who has been seeking you before you were born, who knew you were coming into this world and for all your life has been looking for you, knowing your name, calling you, sometimes in a whisper, sometimes loudly. And you need to respond because he's the dad you've been looking for. And he will never let you down, I promise you. The second thing I want to say uh, as we come to an end is about spiritual gifts because we don't tend to talk enough about that in church for some reason. But we believe in God. We believe he's poured out his spirit on his people. And I believe God still does that. He fills us with his spirit. I believe he gives spiritual gifts to the, the building up of his church and for the mission to preach the gospel. And so let me ask you, has God given you a gift of prophecy? Did you feel you've got a gift of healing? Does God give you the gift of speaking tongues? Have you got the gift of faith? Use them. Use them. If you feel God has put something on your heart for the church, share it. Share it with me if it's in a Sunday morning setting. Uh, We may decide not to share it from the front. We may decide to go away and pray about it and weigh it up against the Bible, which is what you're supposed to do, and then share it or or say, well, maybe not. But if you've got a gift, a spiritual gift, maybe speak with some other people, get them to pray over you, to lay hands on you, see what God is wanting to do by his power of his Holy Spirit in your heart, in your life. If you've got a, a spiritual gift, use it, fan it into flame. Sometimes the church is excellent 
at seeing gifts in people and then quenching those gifts before they've had a chance to grow. If we're in the same church as Acts chapter 2, then God can pour out his spirit, wants to pour out his Holy Spirit. If you've got a spiritual gift, use it. Use it with humility. Don't use it for personal gain or for reputation. Use it for the building up of God's kingdom and the building up of individuals. And finally, let me just end by saying this. Pentecost was the birth of the church. And so often the church doesn't represent what happened in those early years of Christianity. Like I say, we've often become very organised, very, uh, very sensible. It's probably the wrong word to use, but you know what I mean. And I urge every single one of us to walk in step with God's Holy Spirit. To read your Bible and meditate on the word of God and spend time in prayer and wait for him. Let, begin to recognise the voice of God in your life. Go out knowing that the same power that fell on them is on you. The same power that rose Jesus from the dead is the power at work in your life. And that God wants to use every single one person in this room for mighty things. And you may never know how mighty those things were until you die and see who's in heaven with you. But they will be mighty things if you let yourself be led and keep in step with the Holy Spirit. That means we've got to be holy. We've got to be dedicated. We've got to read our Bible and pray and worship together. But we've got to allow God to be God. And not have an order of life that he's not really part of. So let's take the challenge of Pentecost and let's let God be God and move forward as a church. Do you pray? Lord God, we lift up Lord, these thoughts to you. And Father, we, we thank you, Lord, that you are a God that seeks us. You are a God who moves, Lord, close to us. And Lord, you're an amazing God, a powerful God. Yet, Lord, often we don't see it. And we feel we don't see it. We wonder, Lord, why things don't happen, Lord, in our own context. But Lord, I believe that sometimes we perhaps aren't ready for you to. Sometimes, perhaps, though, we're a bit frightened of what might happen if we completely just open ourselves up to you. But Lord, how can we read those verses that we've just read? How can we look at Acts chapter 2? How can we look at 1 Corinthians 12 and not be open to the movement and leading of your Holy Spirit? Lord, it's not about what label we are. Lord, it's about being biblical Christians who preach the gospel with demonstrations of power. Father God, I believe that when you send us out, you go with us with mighty power. Or maybe be a church that goes out and that people feel it because we're dynamic believers, Lord. Ordinary people with no persuasive words at all, but just you go with us. And Father God, for any here who don't yet know you, Lord, I pray that they would know you for the first time and know that renewal that only your spirit can bring because of the cross of Christ. Lord, he is here to make us all holy. Holy Spirit, we pray you'd work in us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.